Well hello everyone, I hope you're keeping well. Thank you for joining us for another conversation this week on one of the most famous stories in Joshua, but also one of the most challenging. If you were with us on Sunday, you will have heard me reflect on a passage which I think does contain some important lessons and inspiration for all of us. But I also think we need to acknowledge that there are difficulties and complexities in the passage. And we need to recognize the truth that what we find here, the lessons we find here, they're buried pretty deep at times behind some very troubling and disturbing violence. As I said on Sunday, the capturing of Jericho is possibly the most extreme of a number of accounts of violence that we find in the book of Joshua. We're told in uh, chapter 6 and verse 21 that the Israelites kill every living thing in Jericho. So not just people, but also the livestock. It is slaughter on a truly appalling scale. And it actually goes far beyond any mandate or instructions which have been given earlier to Moses and which might be found in earlier books of the Bible. And it's hard to find any justifiable explanation for why this is so. There are some commentators who've speculated that because Jericho is the very first city that is taken, then everything within it is regarded as first fruits. A first fruit suffering. In other words, because this is a moment when the Israelites are at last taking hold of what Canaan has to offer, then it's appropriate that all that they take is given back to God. And that's an explanation of sorts, though it still doesn't fail in my eyes, at least, to provide any kind of justification for what we read here. And if we're honest, I'm not sure we are going to find any completely satisfactory way of being able to understand what has happened here. We just need to acknowledge this and acknowledge also the challenge of finding in this passage uh, a meaning worthy of God, uh, to use that famous phrase of origin, the church father, that I quoted on Sunday. But let's try to do so now. Let's explore what God might be saying to us in this passage. As I said a moment ago, this is a key event in Joshua because having now entered into the land, having crossed the Jordan, Jericho is uh, the first key settlement that the people of Israel are going to take. And that may be another reason for why the story reads differently to other battles in the book. It is made explicitly clear as we read Joshua 6 that this is not a battle won by human effort but that the victory is achieved purely by God's hand. And hence the reason why there are no battering rams used to break down the walls of the city, but instead they fall only because the power of God causes them to do so. And it's this uh, miraculous, otherworldly aspect of the victory that I'd like us to look at in our first question. So you might recall that as we've been looking at these passages in Joshua, there are three questions we've been asking about them. We're asking what? Uh, in other words, what is actually happening here? What What is going on in this passage? We're also asking, so what? I mean, what, what does this actually mean for us? What are the implications for us as followers of Jesus in 2022? And then finally, what now? What are we going to do differently in light of this passage? 
So let's think for a few moments about this first question. What is actually happening here? And this might be a good moment to dig a little deeper into one of the points I explored on Sunday. The way in which this story seems to reveal another dimension, uh, the heavenly realm, which may often be hidden from our view or perception, but which nonetheless impacts on what is happening to us. So you might recall the strange scene which occurs right at the end of chapter five, when Joshua encounters a man standing before him with a drawn sword. And Joshua asks him whose side he's fighting on, which seems to suggest that he looks like an ordinary human being. But then when he introduces himself, it's as commander of the army of the Lord. And he also instructs Joshua to take off his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. So there are strong parallels here with other commissioning scenes that you find in scripture, the likes of Moses at the burning bush. And there is also a reminder here of the crucial role God will play, the decisive and influential role he will play and other heavenly or angelic figures, if that's who the commander really is, will play on his behalf. So to the uninformed observer, the battle which takes place at Jericho may seem to be one between just the Israelites and the inhabitants of the city, but we know differently. So reading this passage reminds me of a very vivid illustration which used to be made by uh, the great Anglican preacher David Watson. He used to say, imagine life as being like a football match where half the players are invisible. And if you try to imagine such a thing, you begin to get a sense of how we don't always see the full picture of how if we just look at what we can see in front of us, we're not perceiving everything that's going on, every force that is at play. It reminds me also of the famous words the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So that takes me to the first question which I'd like us to consider this evening. What difference does it make when we try to understand the events going on around us from a spiritual as well as a purely human dimension? And how might that change our responses to what happens, our reactions to the people whose actions impact upon us? Why don't you hit the pause button and take a moment to talk that over now? And so now we come to the second question, the question of so what? What are the implications uh, of this passage for us now? And as we consider this, I'd like to reflect for a moment on another aspect of the story we looked at on Saturday, namely the strangeness of what the Israelites are asked to do. When you think about it, there is a lot in this story which is, frankly, very odd. Uh, the priests processing with their horns, the army which walks along behind them encircling Jericho but doesn't raise a war cry, the fact that this uh, strange ritual of walking around the city lasts for seven days and at the end of the first six they just return to the camp and they don't do anything else apart from the uh, procession. This is not a conventional way to fight a battle, but this is what the Israelites have been commanded by God to do, 
And so they do it. And Joshua himself comes across as a leader who is acting in complete submission to God and who is careful to give instructions that are faithful to what God has passed on to him. And this leads me to the second question, which I'd like you to consider now. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where your obedience to God has meant that you've ended up doing what seems illogical in the eyes of the world? But ultimately God came through for you and if you hadn't gone with that approach, with God's approach, if you'd gone ahead and made your own plans, what difference would it have made? So if you have a testimony like that, I'm sure it would be a blessing to others in your group to hear it. I'm sure it might have something to say to us as a church are the ways in which God is asking us to wait, to pause, uh, not to rush ahead or to do things in other ways that well, might not seem like a business-like or a rational or a go-get-em approach, but it's what God wants us to do. Why don't you pause? Why don't you take a moment to talk that over as well? And so now we come to the final question. What now? How do we live differently in light of what we've read and reflected upon this week? And in this part of your conversation, can I encourage you to think a little bit more about the final point which I spoke about on Sunday. The fact that, yes, we received Joshua 6 and the story of Jericho is God's word to us, uh, scripture inspired by his spirit. But we also receive it as followers of Jesus, Jesus who most fully reveals God to us and who has shown us a different way. So Jesus, who is not a man of battling and coercion but the prince of peace jesus who is never a perpetrator of violence but is actually its victim jesus who rules now for us and who is described in revelation 5 as the lion of judah but one who has the appearance of a lamb which has been slain and so as your conversation comes to an end you might want to reflect on this what now question in these terms what does it mean to take the principles we've learned, principles I've mentioned, other principles you will have drawn out from this strange and sometimes troubling story, but because of the violence, but then live them out as followers of Jesus, Prince of Peace. Why don't you take a moment to talk that over now? Well, thank you, friends, for joining us again. I hope it's been a good time of fellowship and conversation for you. I look forward to seeing you again soon. But for now, let me finish by praying for you. I pray, my friends, that as you walk into a new week with whatever it holds, that you would know God very close to you, that he would grant you wisdom to perceive all that is really happening and help you to respond in love to people and in prayer to principalities and powers. I pray that he would give you courage when obedience to him seems costly or perplexing to those around you. I pray that he would be your deliverer in whatever you go through, any struggle or strife that might come your way. Amen. Bye for now, friends, and I'll see you soon.